0: When I first started here, believe it or not, it was 23 years ago, crazy, Lauren, crazy, 23 years ago, there was a guy that was a student in our youth ministry that he was very good at Taekwondo, and he said, hey, I would like to just open up an opportunity, if you'd like to use me to teach some Taekwondo classes, I'd love to, and so we had a blue gym, that wonderful blue gym over there, we opened up on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 3 to 5, we'd have a Just a taekwondo class, nothing big. They'd teach us, you know, how to block and how to punch and kick. I was really good at it, you know, a double kick and then a round kick. Bam! Like that. And so I I used it as a great opportunity to recruit kids from the local high school. It was a good chance for me to get to know them. I just started. I went through the hallways, go to the cafeteria, and I'd say, Hey, we have a taekwondo class. Would anybody like to just come and learn maybe some self-defense techniques? Get you a little stronger. And one student walked up to me, and he's a big guy. He goes, oh, really? I'd really like to check that out. I'm in karate. I'm a black belt. I said, oh, really? He goes, oh, I'd love to come and check that out. Maybe I can teach a few things. I said, hey, well, you'd be more than welcome to come. He's a big guy. He showed up at 3 o'clock, and I introduced him to the teacher. And the teacher said, well, hey, I hear you know karate. He goes, I sure do. I'm a black belt. Pretty good, pretty good at it. He said, how would you like to spar with me? We can get off the mats and I can learn a little bit from you and hopefully you can learn a little bit from me. And the guy's like, oh, maybe, maybe. How about next on Thursday, two two days from now? And the guy said, you know, I'm thinking about it. I just don't want to hurt you. I know karate, my black belt. I just don't want to hurt you. I might get in trouble with my sensei. He's like, no, I'd really like to try. All right, all right, all right. So two days later, he showed up, and the teacher said, are you ready? You are ready to spar a little bit? Well, no big deal. And he goes, you know, I was thinking about it. I really could could get in big trouble, because I'm lethal. (laughs) I'm lethal. And, you know, I mean, black belt in karate is almost like a weapon being around. I don't want to hurt you. And the guy's like, no let's go you know that kind of inspired him a little bit and he goes all right so they got out on the mat took off their shoes and the mat's, you know kind of spongy and so they start you know and they both take a position and the taekwondo teacher all he did literally all he did is he goes oh like that hoping to be you know defended or something hit him right in the chest knocked the kid right on his butt boom oh i wasn't ready for that let's keep going so you know the taekwondo teacher kind of did this thing where he went like this and just kind of did a backward kick, got him in the back, and the guy's like, oh, ho, 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 ho. And he left, didn't say no. <laughs> Didn't say anything else. And uh, it was pretty obvious. I think he was a karate expert only in his mind. He really, I saw the kid a couple, you know, I, I know him pretty well, and, oh, it was a bad showing, it was a bad showing. He's lucky I didn't get upset. Okay, okay. But that sparring mat, was the proving ground that brought out the reality of he really didn't know what he's talking about. He can profess karate, but he didn't possess it. He didn't possess it. Today we're going to go to another sparring match, a proving ground. It's going to be a wrestling match this time. And this wrestling match is going to be with a guy by the name of Jacob, who we've been talking about. And he's going to be called out by God to wrestle, to see what's really in him. The sparring mat is the proving grounds. It fleshes out in living color what you really believe. We're going to learn what Jacob really believes, what's really inside of him. The title is God Fight. And I'm going to call this also this Godfather. I have written under there the existential moment of knowing. It sounds very deep, doesn't it? But this idea of existential knowing is you can say that you know something. You can say you know. You can profess till you're blue in the face. But there are rare moments in life that God sets up to reveal in your heart what you really know. It's interesting how 1 Peter 1, 1.7 says it. it. Peter writes... Some trials come so that your faith may be proved, may be proved genuine. You can say you know God, but do you, I mean, really, do you really know God? Do you really know God? I once read that in our current use of the modern language, English language, the word really. The word really, people you are now using the word really because they want to get to the authentic or genuine core of something. It's the expression of what I'd call as existential knowing. Not just professing that I know something, but it is the moment that I actually, certainly, really know. Like I really, I don't, like when we say I believe in God, if I say it like this, I really believe in God, it means that I'm not kidding. Or you could say, I I know God, but do you really know God? There's that core. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How you can know you really know Him. So let's open up to Genesis, chapter 32. We are plugging away at the book of Genesis, all the way to chapter 32. In your Bibles, it should say, Jacob prepares to meet Esau. If you remember last week, we talked about Jacob left the land of Laban where he was being mistreated. They set up a boundary stone. He's never going back. He's heading home. That's where we come in the story. Genesis 32, let's begin with reading 1 through 8. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. I honestly don't know what that means. There's passages in the Old Testament where angels would lie, you know, line the whole side of the hills, and people could see him. Angels are given to give you strength. And it says Jacob's heading towards home, and the angels of God met him. Like they met him at a place. I don't know how many were there. It's fascinating, but really when you read the commentaries, not much is said about that, and I just don't want to pass that by too quick. So verse 2. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim, which means two camps. That's what it means, and you'll see why. Verse 3, Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my master Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, men servants and maid servants. Now I am sending this message to, to my Lord that I might, may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him in great fear and distress. Jacob divided the people who were with him in two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that's left may escape. So that's why it's called two camps. So here he is. He's going home. He's going to meet his brother. He sends out some, basically some messengers to try to ease Esau's, you know. The last time he left Esau, Esau wanted to kill him. The messengers come back and say, yep. yeah, Esau's coming, and he's bringing 400 men with him. Oh, boy. So Jacob said, this is going to be bad. So he divided his holdings, his people, his wives into two camps. So if one camp got attacked, the other could take off. That's where we're at. I'm going to bring this sermon in three parts. We're going to talk about, it's all about a wrestling match. We're going to talk about the arena, We're going to talk about the match itself, and then we're going to talk about who gets the victory. So let's talk about the arena. Let's begin in the arena. The arena is the place God brings people for battle. It's the sparring mat, as we said earlier. Last week, Jacob left the land of Laban, where he was mistreated, lied to, daily harassed, taken advantage of, and even threatened. So he head back home with his wives and children, to reunite with his family and his faith. That's what we talked about last week. But there was a lot of unfinished business back home, primarily with his brother Esau. That's why he left. Esau wanted to kill him. So, because Jacob stole from him, stole his birthright, which was really important back then. We've talked all about that. And his blessing from his father. He stole. So in verse 7 it says, in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people. So here is Jacob terrified. Verse 32 says this happens all down by the river Jabbok. Actually some scholars want you to notice that the word Jabbok sounds a lot like Jacob in the Hebrew and wrestling sounds a lot like Jacob in the Hebrew. But it's down in this kind of valley He sends people to one side and the other and he's down by the river where all of this is going to take place. And in a way, it's like an arena. He's down and angels may be on the side of the mountains watching because angels are there. So late at night, the story is taking place. So the sun is just going down and it happens all night long. And while he's there, he's waiting for his brother who has 400 men. An army. His brothers bring bringing an army to see his brother. So Jacob sits and stews. He's dreading paid back. He's filled with fear. This is terrible. And he can't go back to Laban. He made up his mind. He's stuck. This is the arena. It's where he's being squeezed in God's vice grip. It's kind of like God is squeezing him because it's either going to make Jacob or it's going to break him. There's no way out. Have you ever been in a situation like that? It's a vice grip. You don't see any way out. And you really couldn't help getting into it. What is your arena? An arena, the way I'm going to describe an arena, an arena is an existential moment where the mere profession of belief, the mere profession of belief a nice sounding trite, Religious words are not enough anymore. Yeah, I'm a Christian. That's just not going to cut it anymore. They don't work. It's when your heart cries out like Jacob's does in 9 through 11. Listen to Jacob's heart cry out. I'm going to read it and then I'm going to just bring there's two main parts to it. Verse 9. And then Jacob prayed. So here he is. You got to be caught up. It's night. He's by himself 400 men with an angry brother are coming and his mind are going to kill him. Cries out, oh my God, my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, oh Lord, who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am worth, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now i become two groups, meaning I before I left, I was just one guy. Now I have all of this, and I've got to take care of all this. I have two wives, all these kids, all these maidservants. Like, thank God I've got a lot on my plate. It's A lot on my plate. Verse 11, Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. I want you to note, notice two parts. Part one, we find really here in verse 11, is save me because I'm afraid. This is where you know are experience. This, this, uh, this is the moment when Just fake, false religion is not enough. You have fear. You can taste it. It's in you. You, It's real. It's palpable. When you look at your circumstances, your bank account, your inability in the past, maybe it's your illness, your broken relationships, your failures. Maybe it's your sin that you love and you know it's finally caught up with you. All of these things have finally caught up with you. You're at the arena. You, you've got no other choice. You can no longer kick the can of responsibility down the street. Maybe later on I'll take care of this. No, it's that day is today. You must face it. You can't run anymore. And you know in order to face it, you need God. Because everything you've tried in the past is not working. My question is, have you been there? Have you ever fought in the arena of dread and fear? It's terrible. It's terrible. I have a number of times. And each time I was in that place, that arena, my faith was tested. And I knew either I was going to be proven true or false. It's sort of like this. We often hear this phrase, prayer always seems to be the last resort. That's because primarily it is. Because by nature we've been made, we've been made to fix things on our own. That's how we're made. If I can take care of it, I'll fix it. But there will be times when we can't. We can't. And I believe those times are most of the time purposeful where all we have left is prayer. And you're in that vice grip. He wants to see in that moment, if you really believe, He will rescue you. Do you believe it? And then when we pray, we pray like He did in verse. the second part. Watch how He prays. It's incredible. Verse 12 is incredible you get into the psyche of Jacob, he's terrified, but what does he lean to? The Word of God. Verse 12, but you have said, God, I'm terrified, but I, but I believe you. You've said some things I need to hold on to. It's very interesting. Everything that exists, exists because God's Word brought it into existence. Second Peter 3 says that people deliberately forget that it's through God's words that the heavens existed. So everything you see of matter were made by God's Word. His Word creates reality. Unbelief, however, doesn't believe that anymore. It suppresses that truth. But true faith brings you back to really what matters and what really matters is God's Word. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the Word of God. The Word of God is more real than this. It stands. And so if God has promised you something, a true believer will go to God in this moment of being in the arena and will say, God, I'm dying, but you've said. You have said. What has God said to us? He said, he's given so many promises. If you don't know, just go through the Psalms. Here's some through the Psalms. I'll never leave you or forsake you. God, you've said you will honor those who honor you. God, you have said that you have your angels encamping around those who love you. Wow. You have said you hear the desire of the afflicted. You have said we will gain the victory. You have said you will deliver those you love from their enemies. And you've got to go to God and say, God, you've said this. God loves it. God loves it when you hold him accountable to his word. Because his character is based on his word. He loves to deliver what he said. Which brings us to the match. Which brings us to the beginning of the wrestling. If you read from 13 through 21, what's happening is he starts preparing gifts to give to his brother. Like verse 15 is interesting. He's going to send like 20 rams, 30 female camels, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys. He's getting ready to meet his brother, and he's schmoo. You could say he's schmoozing him, but I. He's just he's he wants peace, whatever it costs. But we'll get to that in a second. So he's getting ready to send all of those, and while he's getting them ready, he spends the night at the river Jabbok, starting in verse 22. That night. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford at the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled the man. Knocked out a socket. Crippled, some other words. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. So this is the wrestling match. The wrestling match is when we're in the middle of the arena and God shows up with us we can declare his promises but the real wrestling is will we hold on to those promises until god blesses us or will we give up will you hang on to god this is really a wild story like all of a sudden god shows up in as an angel but in a man's form he calls it, it's god it's people would say this is a theophany this is jesus christ pre-incarnate Christ in the form of a man coming to meet Jacob by the side of the Jabbok River ready to wrestle. And they weren't wrestling like a, a normal wrestling match to pin somebody, you know, get their shoulders. Why well, I won! This is different. And they both knew what they were wrestling for. You know, if I was Jacob, I'd be like, what are you doing, man? I don't want to wrestle. But they kind of both knew what they wanted. God wanted to win a man, and Jacob wanted to win a blessing wasn't about a pin. It's about something so much deeper. God, Jacob wanted God's blessing, which means his presence, his provision, and his protection right now. He promised it 20 years earlier. Go to Genesis 28.15. Look at Gen- Genesis 28.15. This was 20 years earlier. Remember the first time he camped and he saw the stairway to heaven, angels ascending and descending, and God gave him a promise in 28.15. God said, I am with you. I am with you, Jacob. I'll watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what what I've promised you. And so he's going back to that promise and he's claiming it. And he's saying, God, that promise needs to happen now. 400 guys are going to kill me. You need to rescue me. And I believe what God is doing, the reason God's wrestling, is He's holding out to see if Jacob really, and I mean really in an existential way, believes in Him and that He will fulfill the promise. There's a lot of people that believe things, but they really don't. They give up so quick. God just wants to know from Jacob, will you hang on to Me, or will you let go before you're blessed by Me? Will you quit deceiving people? Will you quit being a deceiver and will you start being truthful and follow me? That was a wrestling match. There are many people who claim belief in God, but they're deceivers. They really don't because they let go at the first sign of difficulty. True faith is not a silly game. It's not a game. Because God wants your life. He wants your life forever. Forever. He will even fight you for it. Knowing God is worth everything and really knowing Him, truly knowing Him, will hurt. Because the truth of the matter is, you know that any real friendship is costly, a real friendship is costly. But a friendship with the God of the universe it 's really costly in jacob 's case, to prove his love and loyalty, God had to cripple him, knocked out his hip socket. and to me, pain is part of the way God, you, God uses it to prove what you really believe that 's what First Peter one seven says: Trials which could include pain, suffering, difficulty, come so that your faith may be proved genuine. We live in a Christianity that is just supposed to be comfortable. I don't know if Scripture confirms that. Will you hold on to God even when it hurts? Jesus says something really dark to his disciples. Jesus said a lot of dark things. Like if you're really listening to him, you'd say, wait, wait a minute, what did you say? But sometimes the disciples slip right past them, as it does us. John 12:24. "Very truly I tell you," Jesus says, "very truly I tell you. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds." And I could be here, the disciples, and I would be just like them. Yeah, I know that. What, so what's the point? Here's the point. There are two things that seem to get in our way. When it comes to worshiping Jesus, following Jesus, putting Him first, let's say loyalty to other things and desires that we love more than God. I believe through this verse, Jesus is saying that true connection with Him requires for those things to die. They need to die. Let me explain. Let me take it a step further. There's a period in my family's life where we were brought into the arena. My, my immediate family was brought into the arena. started with my dad. At the age of 55, he lost a very lucrative job. He just bought a new house, so he had a large mortgage. He has a special needs daughter. I talk about her often and his wife and I was living with him, so he had to take care of me, my mom, my sister, large mortgage, and now he had no income at the age of 55. He was forced to wrestle with God, and his wrestling match was could he trust God without having a successful career? He was successful his whole life. I mean, really successful. Now, in his mind, he failed. Could he trust God? Would God rescue him daily? Would my dad hold tight? Even when he didn't know how he was going to pay the bills. Man, I remember that wrestling match. It was fierce. And I went to my mom. My mom was next. She was forced to wrestle in the sense that she needed real answers at this time. And she did not find them in the tradition, religious tradition she grew up in. And she knew she had to go somewhere else. But it cost her distance from her dad and the rest of her siblings. It was bad. But she needed answers. She wanted to know. My brother Don at that time, he was a, my brother Don, you've probably heard of my brother. He's kind of weird, very strange man. And he'd agree with that. He's a, he's, he has what's called wanderlust. He would go all over the country. He would, um, you know, he would go cliff diving, in Alabama. He would go to, he's just weird. That's all I'll say. But at that time, he met a, met a woman and he knew he had to be home to be a support to my family. So, and he got saved and he knew he needed to grow up in a church instead of wandering everywhere. So he committed to a local church and to stay. He never stayed before. My sister Gina was filled with anxiety. She struggled with trusting people. She's scared to death to get on an airplane. But she knew she had to and she started trusting God to help her face her fears, even when she wanted to run. And then you have me. I'll just tell you, I'll be honest with you, growing up, I wanted to be popular. I wanted to have fun. I really did. I wanted to be Tom Cruise, to be honest. I did. You might laugh. I I saw every movie. When he did cocktails, I became a bartender. I, I, never, I didn't do, go all the way when he was driving a race car. I never did that. I always thought race cars for hillbillies, I wouldn't do that. So then you might not like me for that. I'm just telling you, you've got to be honest up here. But I did want to go into the Air Force for a while and be a top gun. So I got shades, at least, and a leather jacket. That was good. That was close. But I, when I met Jesus, I knew I had to give up these stupid false identities. Be who God made me to be. Stop living for some other weird dream. People are living for these weird identity dreams. Give them up. Stop it. That's how I felt, God's saying. Pray for my dad. It's hard giving up something you cultivated most of your life. But God will ask you if you want to be blessed. If you want to know that you really are His, He wants to know, will you hold on to Him even when He wants to? the rest of the other stuff to die. Remember, Jesus met a rich man who wouldn't get rid of things. Paul met this guy named Demas who was a disciple for a while, but he left him because he loved the world. They both quit wrestling. I was talking to a friend recently, actually, who told me that many people in our church are just playing games, they are great at putting on a good face on Sunday, but the rest of the week, they really don't live for Christ. If that's true, if that's true, my job isn't to go on a seek and destroy mission. I'm just saying if that's true, people will never know what true intimacy with God is really like and that's sad. That's sad. Because he's the best. But if you, if you don't want to give up those things you so cherish, the loyalty to other things and desires, will you really get to know God? Well, then you get to the final part, which is the victory. When you hold on to him long enough for him to break you and hurt you, two things happen. In Jacob's case, look what he does. He gives him a new name. Look at 27. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered, which means deceiver. Then the man said, no. No. You're not going to be deceiver anymore. you know what I'm going to name you? Israel. Israel. Because you've struggled with God and with men and have overcome. He's no longer has this old identity of being the deceiving younger brother who's always trying to finagle. You know what he's now known as now? the one who struggles with God. Like that's an incredible name. That's an incredible name. How are you known? Well, I'm called Israel. Israel, you—you, what does that mean? You struggle with God? Yeah, I wrestle with Him every day. Then the man said, "Your name will." Uh, Jacob says, "Please tell me your name." He replied, "Why do you ask me my name?" Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, "It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared." Did he really see Him face to face? Some people think he wrestled him in pitch dark, so he didn't see Him. It's a long discussion. I don't have time for it, but it's interesting. All I know is Jacob was forever changed, and victory was achieved. Victory? Sounds like he got his leg broke. Well, Jacob got the victory because he was blessed. He knew that he's God. God's with him. You're the one who struggles with God. You're mine. And God won. God got the man. This is what true salvation is about. When God save you, saves you, it's always a win-win. Win-win-win. Cuz the Holy Spirit's given to you, and that's for Jared or anybody. It's a win-win. You don't lose when you die to God, you win. You win. You win the world. It's the grand mystery of the gospel. You will never know God and taste his life until you die to it. That's what Jesus is talking about. Watch how Jacob changes from this point on if we read uh, chapter 33. So Esau's coming, verse 1. Oh boy, Esau's coming with his 400 men. So he's still a little nervous, divided children among Leah, Rachel, two maidservants, verse 2, put the maidservants and children in front, Leah and her children next, Rachel and Joseph in the rear. And he went down ahead and bowed down. He bowed down to the ground, seven times as he approached his brother. He is willing to humble himself, a sincerely broken man. Before he was the deceiver. As a deceiver, he believed he deserved the privileges of the firstborn. Now he humbles himself and presents himself as a servant to his older brother. Look what Esau does in verse 4. This is interesting, verse 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob, and embraced him (laughs) he's not coming to kill him he threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept i just want you to notice this fear fear in the middle of the night had jacob in so much turmoil but it wasn't really the case that's the problem with fear it always has us believing the worst It's always true. Fear in the watches of the night is what kills the soul. Not actually the reality of the thing in the morning. <laughs> if we can get that in our minds, in that moment of darkness, it, it's like, I'm done, I'm done. But God's like, hang on to me. You're going to make it. Just wait till the morning. Read Psalm 30. If you're, if you're worried about the night, read Psalm 30. It's incredible. And then, if we go down in verse 10, you know, so verse 6, everybody bowed down. Leah bowed down in verse 7. And then Esau's asking about all those camels and cows. And in verse 8, well, what do you mean by all these droves I met to find favor in your eyes, my Lord? But Esau said, I've already had plenty, my brother. Keep what you have. Keep it. No, said Jacob, no, no, no. If I found favor in your eyes, accept this as a gift from me. Or to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you've received me favorably so verse 10 really we find a person that no longer is fighting for his fair share or the or the best portion he's willing to give it all up he gave a lot away he gave a lot away we that's what if you want to read what he gave away remember read 32 13 through 21 i mean he gave a lot away Probably in our day and age, worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. A truly changed person no longer competes, no longer strives, no longer demands, no longer hoards, no longer boasts or fights. He's done. To me, that is how you can know a person knows God. Here's how you can can know. How do you know you're known? How do you know you're known? In my mind, it's very simple. The fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and self-control, flows out of you. You don't force it. It just comes out of you. It's wrapped up in humility. Put all those together. That to me is humility brokenness like when you have peace that means you're not, I'm not fighting anymore I don't need I don't need to be recognized I don't need you to I don't need to compete patience is I trust God he broke me so I'm going to I'm going to trust him to me one of the craziest fruits of the spirit is kindness kindness Does kindness flow out of you? I will be honest with you. I do not enjoy wrestling with God in the arena. I don't. Every time it happens, every time that situation happens, it makes me evaluate what I really believe, and it's hard. Because there's things inside of me that deceive a lot. But after I've battled with Him and I've come out broken and alive, I, can, I know, I know that I know God and that He loves me. It's incredible. I'll just say those who have never fought Him to the point where He hurts you will never experience life to the fullest. I can tell you honey is sweet, but it means nothing till you taste it. I can tell you God exists and He's good, but until you wrestle with Him, hang on during tough times and follow Him through the dark valleys while everyone else bails out, then you won't really know Him. You just won't. That's why Psalm 34.7 said, taste and see that the Lord is God. This is existential knowing. You won't know until you've experienced His presence in a moment of humble obedience. When I was a kid growing up, there was another karate show named Kung Fu, and Kung Fu was uh, with Kane. was He his mom was Chinese, but his dad was English, and he had to he was adopted by this temple with these Kung Fu masters, and he had to go through a lot of trials and difficulties. Very first trial, he had to do walk rice paper, and he walked the rice paper. And he'd, you know, just walk it normally. And they said, look behind you. And he looked back and there's footprints in a white rice paper. And he said, it's going to take a long time. So he learned and tested. And he went through all of these different things. And over time, he started acquiring skills. And then they said, now I think now is the time. If you can snatch the rock out of my hand, now is the time. Black rock. Walks the rice paper. Looks behind him. No footprints. He goes, now is the time. Final test. Big cauldron full of hot coals with a dragon on one side and a tiger on the other. Puts his hand slowly over it and goes, Tch. puts it down, walks out in the snow. Tch. Steam comes up because cool his arms, but he's got tiger and dragon. And now he's Shaolin master forever and he's different man. I'll tell you what, it's sort of like that when you go in the arena with God. Before you go in, I don't know if I know him. I don't know if I really believe this stuff. I don't know, but you go into this arena and you, he's going he's to say, hey, you still going to believe in me even when you, all your friends think you are a wimp? Are you going to hang on to me even when people leave you? Even when it looks like your bank account is run dry, do you believe me? But it hurts, God. (laughs) Hang on. It's like and you 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 make it through, and God rescues you, and it's like his the snow is like his grace in it, but you're different. And you can tell. Christians who've been in the arena, they're just different. They're patient. They're calm. They're mature. They're godly. Godly is a word that means like God. Have you ever been in the arena or do you give up? Don't give up.